You're not going to start like the you started the last two episodes? Let's pop on YouTube. Alright, we yeah. switched it up a little bit. Yeah, you know, today is a serious day. Today, I need you guys to donate to my Patreon. Oh, you have yeah, a Patreon? I've been running out of money, you know. Oh. Uh, no one's watching my videos all the way 10 minutes through. You know? Is that how they get money? Do you have to watch the like videos to 10 minutes? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't oh, know. okay. I like. I think that... Oh, More importantly, like my my Let's Play Minecraft videos are somehow really gone down in popularity over the past couple hmm. of years, you know? I feel like Minecraft is almost making a resurgence, though. I feel like I've seen a lot of people be playing Minecraft. Well, yeah. apparently can they're you, not can, watching can, you. Can, can, can you kick them my way? Can you name them? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, uh, I'm not sure how many. Um, yeah, uh, I'll send them all, all this way. Well, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. All right, well, I've got news for you. There's news. There's also news for the audience. We are in a new apartment, so it might be a little more echoey. Someone calls a townhome. Someone called a townhome, I suppose. That's right. We are no longer like going to hear like traffic horns in the background. That's true. That's which true. is nice. And maybe once we get our nice couch, it won't have an echo. But for now, here's the news. Mm-hmm. So. You might have heard about this, but a zoo in China has had to fight the internet over whether their sun bear is real or a human in a costume. A video of a... I have not heard about this. Oh my gosh. A video on a Chinese social media site called Weibo shows a sun bear named Angela, weird name for a bear, standing on a rock in her enclosure. The bear is standing in an oddly human way, causing doubt over if it is even a real bear. Okay, I will show you the picture right now and see what you have to say. Yeah, I'll be the judge of this. About usually, the sun bear. I'm usually pretty, I'm usually pretty good authority, authority over what's human and right. what's bear. So this is a picture. There's a video, but this is all you need to see. Let's see. Huh. Doesn't that look weird? That's really, that's a really close call. All right, let's see what God, happens when we play the video. God, that head looks like a mask. That, okay, so people said, noted like the wrinkles... All right, Galaxy 5. We don't need your ad right now. The wrinkles, like, in the bear's, like, sides and back, I guess, looked like it was, like, a costume. And the head does look pretty weird. I'm also just realizing I've never really looked at, like, a sun bear. I thought sun bears were big because on Tooth and Claw, Wes always says that sun bears are actually really aggressive. Oh, that's... God, that's, like... It's kind of haunting, honestly. God, it looks like... Looks like that little guy from uh, Animal Farm. (laughs) Tom Nook. It looks like Tom Nook from Animal Farm. God, its head looks like a balloon is stuck to the top of its head. That's so strange. Okay, so. Looks like a bear that you would like have in like a bad dream. Yeah, it's kind of scary. I'm, so, gonna, I'm gonna go bear. You're, you're going bear? I'm gonna go bear. So yes, yeah, so sun bears can grow to be 4.5 feet long and up to 145 pounds. So I guess they're kind of small. Yeah. They're not a big bear. Uh, a worker defended the zoo in an interview posted to social media on July 29th, saying, Of course it's a real animal. It's definitely not a person in disguise. He said, Our place is a state-run facility. Such situations won't happen here. Okay, well, one thing. I gotta say, the, uh, the Chinese language often translate to, translates to somewhat hilarious English it, translations. It is, yeah, it is. Because that funny. just sounds like the guy's being, like, sarcastic, you know? Yeah. He also goes on to defend it as it is too hot in China right now to wear a costume, so of course it can't be real. He's like, once, it's too hot outside. No one would even go in the costume. Once again, I feel like the <laughs> it's the the, 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 the ch- Chinese to English translation it's, makes it sound particularly dubious. Yeah. I just feel like if you like if you suspected this per this bear of like being in like a a human thing, 
I feel like they have like a lot of eyes on right now. You'd find much more damning evidence than the fact that like you have an entire world just saying like, "Hey, Barry, you, you look like shit." <laughs> Somebody you know? just like takes a picture in like the zoo bathroom, and there's just bear paws on the ground from like the person in the costume had to take a break and go take. a Yeah, break. I feel like, like much well, more damning right. evidence. Yeah. So Charles Robbins, this poor bear, the, I doesn't know, know the entire I know. World Angela, poor fun. Angela. Yeah. Charles Robbins, director of research at the Washington State University Bear Center, says the bear is most likely a real bear and was standing up oddly because it was begging for food. This is not the only time a zoo in China has been cited for replacing its animals with imposters. So I guess in 2013, a zoo in the Henan province in China was also accused of replacing its lion with a Tibetan mastiff. And a panda reserve in... <laughs> That's just kind of funny. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's an animal. It just, like, barks yeah, <laughs> all the time. In Richuan province, sometimes Do has... lions bark? No, that's why it's funny, because it's a dog. Do they not bark? No, they, like, roar. It's a big cat. What is a roar but a long bark? <sighs> I'm asking big questions right do, now. Do dragons bark? What? Dragons always roar. Dragons you know? aren't real. I'm, I'm, but, but I mean, like, I'm, I'm asking real if questions. If a roar is a bark, then do dragons bark? This is this is Bill O'Reilly's no spin zone right now. You know, we're not we're not we're not. We're not I'm not acknowledging this. That's a stupid statement. I think that's a really good question. I don't think that's true. I mean, hyenas what? laugh, and they're like a dog. Are we just you know we we're we're, we're we're just gonna have all these like black and white qualifications for like what animals can okay, can't but say. like no dogs roar, and like no nothing else barks but dogs. I would say a big enough dog would roar because then it would just do like a very guttural big howl, which would in fact be a roar. I think like physiologically. Give me a big enough dog, that dog's roaring. A Tibetan Mastiff is a very dog. I think physiologically there's a difference probably like in your like larynx between a roar and a bark. Well, no. Okay. okay, okay. We need whoever's Here's up there that's like a sound expert. Here's a bark. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Here's a roar. <laughs> See? Oh, what is a roar but an extended bark? I don't I don't think that was right. I think whatever. This is where we're gonna also agree to disagree. Whatever. I don't I don't think so. Anywhere, this panda reserve in China also has its keepers sometimes wear panda costumes to limit the animal's stress. So I don't know if that's just like to keep the like some days they got visitors but the pandas need like a mental health day that mm. they just put people out there or yeah. It's, like, better for, like, the keepers to be in panda costumes with them. I don't mm. know. Yeah. I kind of hope they're in, like, comical panda costumes, though. Like, with big eyeballs. Big, yeah, like, kind of like, like a mascot. Sort yeah. Of like, a, like a, an obviously fake costume. Like the, you know, yeah, when the, whenever they had the Winter Olympics in Japan, I'm sure they had a bunch of, like, panda costumes just reusing those. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I think in, like, the, do you, maybe that's just you making that up, but in the Beijing Olympics, didn't they have, like... I feel like they had pandas as, like, a mascot. Uh, actually, you'll have to look it up, but I think they had, like, mascots that, like, really made you question whether, the, like, something shady was going on. Like, they had weird, like... Horrifying mascots. You should look up, like, Beijing Olympic mascots. Because, well, because I remember they were, like, these weird cartoon characters. 2008 came up. Oh, it was a panda. Yeah. Okay, well, like, It's this... a panda in a panda costume. That's horrifying. Look at that. Bing Duen Duen is its name. Yeah, I don't know about that. It looks like a panda like, oh. in like, a ski suit. That's kind of oh, cute. Oh, wait. Oh, they have Paris is in 2024. Wow. Uh -huh. Those are weird. What are those supposed to be? Berets? I didn't know they came up with these little... What is that? These little mascots every time. Oh, the Vancouver. Oh, no, that's what I'm thinking of on the left there. Oh, oh Turin. No, no, Turin in 2006 had these they weird like... They look like, like chromosomes. Yeah, they... 
Uh, well, I mean, I don't think chromosomes smile, so that's a bit of <laughs> They a don't reach, have faces. You know? Just the body of this one. Anyway, that's, yeah, I agree. All right. Are we ready for the next news? This one might be one that you have more input on, because I think you probably know more about this than I do. So, Lori Vallow-Devo was sentenced to three consecutive life terms in prison without parole for the murders of her two children and conspiring to murder her husband's former wife at the end of July. Right. Okay. So, I don't know, I just, this was a big, big true crime news, so we're going to talk about it. Very well. So, her and her husband, Chad Debo, were indicted in May of 2021 for the deaths of Lori's two children. Lori, when sentenced, said that she had many communications with Jesus Christ and that because of these communications, she knows that her children are, quote, happy and busy in the spirit world. Seems like a bad thing to say in court after you murdered your children. Yeah, I think it'll, yeah, I think, like, if it... I mean, I don't know, without, like, really going on a dodge show, I think it kind of contradicts what she said, like, what she had said before, because there was all this nonsense about, like, her kids, like, being demons or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know? And she said a lot in court, I guess, and there was also a part where she says, like, accidental deaths happen and right. like all this like oh, medical yeah. induced deaths happen I guess in her like closing remarks yeah. she basically just kind of like rejected like all like the weird shit that she'd kind of said earlier she's so. like yeah I didn't do that um, yeah, so Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow were reported missing by J.J.'s grandparents in November of 2019. So this was all going on, like, around COVID time. I yeah. didn't really know about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lori Vallow-Debo was arrested in Hawaii in February of 2020 after she had not cooperated with Idaho police to find her missing children. Investigators found remains buried in Chad Debo's property in June of 2020. These were later identified as his wife's missing children. Chad was arrested and charged with concealing evidence. JJ's body was wrapped in duct tape, and this tape had a strand, I guess, of Lori Daybell's hair stuck into it. And Tylee's remains had been burned and packed into a bucket, which is pretty bad. It's pretty rough. Um, but yeah, so I guess she's going away, and I guess Chad Daybell is yet to be yeah, put on I th- stand. I think, I think he's probably pretty well-cooked as well. Um, I mean, I feel like that concealing whatever evidence charge is kind of a lock- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't, know. I don't know. Pretty, pretty, pretty nutty, nutty case. I feel know. like that's something I need to like look more into because I didn't really like. I think one time we were listening to a podcast in the car. Was this it? I think this was it. I maybe I listened to a long diatribe about uh, about Thank about uh, Doctor Phil PhD about this. You know, he has a pretty popular television show. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he has yeah. a PhD. What? I thought he just called himself Doctor. Um. No, no, he has, no, he has a PhD in psychology, so he's, he's quite accomplished. Don't do this right now. I don't know. Not on air. I don't have a lot of faith in him. Oh. <laughs> I want to read his thesis. <laughs> oh. Horseshit. He, he has a PhD from North Texas University. Why do I know that? Yeah, um, why? <laughs> um, Jesus. Um, I'm pretty sure you know I didn't know you were so, like, that. obsessed with Dr. Phil. Well, anyway, yeah, so Lori, I guess, who ended up being... Um, yeah, you're right. Wow! University of North That's kind of weird. Anyway, um, yeah, so Lori was a... Well, she was a regular kind of a housewife. She was married to a guy who, um, you know, would later end up dead. Um, you know, they had, um, I think... They have, I think they just had uh, one kid. I think maybe the older one. Yeah, yeah. I think they had one kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they had, they had one kid, right? And then she really just had like one of like the most uh, powerful midlife crises of all time. You know, where she kind of just goes from like normal, like I mean, like 
she's kind of like in a bit of a... I, I kind of got the sense it was a bit of a trophy wife sort of thing. It didn't really sound like she was up to much, you know. She was hanging out. Um, spent a lot of time probably on the internet. Spent a lot of time on the internet. She seemed kind of bored. So anyway, this lady eventually, though, chooses just an amazing cliff to jump off of in terms of, like, really diving hard into, like, just, like, fringe religious beliefs about, like, angels and demons and, like, aliens that's, and, like... That's stuff, a big jump. Which is, like, you know, from, you know frankly, from, you know, if, uh, if, you, really, if, you, if you read into it... <laughs> maybe, maybe. Treads water. Who sure. knows? You yeah. Know? Um, but anyway, and then... Um, she gets uh, connected when she's going to these sorts of like the conferences about said angels and demons and aliens and you know zombies and whatnot. You know, you know the zombie to... thing really got me. Well, well, zombies is a term of art. We're not going to get into that right now. All right. Um, and um, anyway, she meets up with uh, Chad Daybell, who is a was a, a popular author of um, kind of like of this like, end times yeah. semi Christian semi sci fi sort of books. And those two just, like, lock arms and, like, dance into the wildflowers together, you know, the, so to speak. Um, but anyway, as she's kind of distancing herself from this uh, husband of hers, uh, at the same time, she's got a brother who's a real piece of work. Um, oh, I remember this brother, part of it. You know, this whole time, the husband is, like, slowly realizing, like, whoa, my wife's a bit of a kook. She's going crazy. And I might need to kind of, like, try and secure custody over these kids before they end up dead, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little foreshadowing there, I suppose. Um, anyway, so then the uh, you can look it up, but anyway, this brother clearly kills the uh, the husband. You yeah. know, there's this whole cocked up like self defense thing. I don't know if they're so going to pros- prosecute um, him, but Chad Daniel married. I'm guessing at the time yes. that him and Lori met, and then his wife also kind of turns up dead. Well, as any key novelist would, he's got a, he's got a wife on his uh, on his arm, of course. you know, of course, of course, you know. So Is um, he who he spends most of his time with? Definitely not. Absolutely not as the as is the case with most uh, most key novelists out there. Yes. Um so um but anyway, so um so anyway, the uh, her brother off the husband. Somehow the brother dies mysteriously later from a quote-unquote heart attack, but you know, most a lot of people believe that she slash Chad kind of decided to get rid of him yeah. to like tie up loose ends. Um, once the husband's gone, I think they generally move in with um, move in together in Idaho. She was already kind of like spending a lot of time out there, um, and then um, and then somewhere along the line, you know, um, paradise turns sour, and they and the kids are suddenly zombies. Which I mean, if they are. We need a, a like a real good test for is someone a zombie because I don't think she did it. Do they watch Minecraft videos on YouTube for six plus hours a day? So we got a lot of thirteen year old zombies out there in the ground. <laughs> in the ground. I feel like if this Lori Vallow Daybell lady was, if this whole thing took place like two hundred years earlier, and maybe she just picked up like a stray pamphlet about how our children are zombies. She probably would have, like, got away with this longer, but she would have been, like, a crazy, like, Black Widow person, I feel like. In, in, wait, in, in, in what time period? I don't know, just, like, 200 years ago. 200 years ago? The 1800s? Yeah. Well, I think she could probably just do it and give them the limited law enforcement the time. Exactly. Probably. She would have got away with it and just kept doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she probably would have, you know, I don't think Chad would have been safe at one point. Yeah, but, but okay, anyway, so um, eventually con- family members get concerned. They start looking into where the fuck these kids are. Uh, they're obviously being insane. 
And then um, as, like, the police are starting to kind of get involved, they go on a vacation to Hawaii. Yeah. Which is nuts. It's a red flag, for sure. And, um... And eventually, and they just yeah. kind of eventually just booked them in Hawaii. Like you, crazy people come with us. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and once again, being impartial, perhaps they were just celebrating the defeat of uh, two zombie nerdy wells. So, it seems like a court of jurisprudence has determined that that was not in fact the case. Seems like they, they might not have like understood kids. extradition laws like within the same country. Yeah. She's like, we're on an island. We're can't, on an island. Can't touch well, us. We're on island time. I got a pina colada in my hand. Yeah. It can't be touched. Anyway. anyway well, they're going to be in court for, or jail for a while. I think, I think the key thing here is keep yourself busy. Drink lots of water. Yeah. Read a good book every now and then, you know. Um, you start, like, really subscribing to some religion that kind of sounds like it could be in, like, a Dune or, like, Ready Player One book. Talk to about it with a friend. Mm-hmm. Before you make any rash decisions. Alright, anyway, anyway, proceed. So, last bit of news. Yeah. So authorities have identified another Gilgo Beach murder victim. The mm. victim previously was known as Fire Island Jane Doe. Her name is actually Karen <laughs> Vergata, a 34-year-old escort from Manhattan. Oh. But so Vergata had gone missing on Valentine's Day of 1996, but no missing persons complaint was ever filed when she went missing. Her remains, which were her feet and legs, were found on April 20th of 1996. Then her skull was found on April 11th of 2011. These were linked through DNA analysis in 2011, and the FBI identified Vergata through genealogy review using a relative's DNA recently. So no charges at this time for Vergata's murder are like out, but investigators are continuing to work on this case after Rex Huerman was arrested last month for the Gilgo 4 murder. So she was like one of the 11 that they found mm-hmm. in the same area. But, but yeah, so they, they just found or identified one of the bodies they have, hmm. which is good. Yeah. Go genealogy review. All right. Well. I feel like, I feel like this whole Gilgo Beach murder, it's been like such like a long, like, um, what do you call it? Like sort of mystery closed case. And now that it's like wrapping up, it's like, I feel like I've gotten like really excited or, you know, pretty stoked on this one. Maybe there's more de- details going to come out, but it's like, oh yeah, it's not really like kicking, you know? No. Well, I mean, these like, cases, the these cases pretty much went cold for a while. Yeah. And then like, whatever the authorities got some grant to like open these back up. And then they just immediately started like finding evidence. But I'm curious to see if they like link the guy that, well, at first, I guess, if they find the accused guilty and if they link him to more murders. Oh. So, because who knows? Maybe, maybe this he... shit will double back to, double back to maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we start talking Hackett again at some point, you know? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Hmm. But, okay. So, let's move to a little bit of a lighter note this week. We are, you know, we're in Tennessee. I guess moonshine's a thing in this region. And we are going to talk about Popcorn Sutton, who is a very famous local moonshiner. Popcorn who? Sutton. Popcorn Sutton? Yes. Hmm. Okay, good. Mr. Sutton? Mr. Popcorn? P. Sutton? His real name's Marvin, so... Marvin? Marvin Popcorn Sutton? Yes. So, first, let's talk about the origins of moonshine. So, though humans have been producing alcohol for thousands of years, beginning around 7,000 to 6,600 BCE in the Yellow River Valley, the U.S. was one of the first to tax and control the alcohol industry. The U.S. began taxing alcohol shortly after the American Revolution to make up from the depths from the war. 
1791, the Whiskey Rebellion began during George Washington's pregnancy over the taxation of liquor. The rebellion was semi-successful as Thomas Jefferson repealed the liquor tax in 1801 with huge support. That'd be crazy. No tax on alcohol. Free kick ass. Yeah. Uh, during the frontier days, farmers made liquor at home frequently. They turned very low-value corn into high-value whiskey. The country was flooded with locals whipping up their own unregulated liquor. During the Civil War, the American government had bills to pay again, so then it began to tax liquor again. The IRS and revenuers began to crack down on people producing untaxed liquor, which now we know as moonshiners. And the public began to view these folks as criminals rather than heroes. So they really liked them in the frontier days because you could just like go to your neighbor and like they'd give you whiskey. But now, can't you just do that now though? Like, what stopped me from just like throwing corn in a bucket? I mean, I know it's more complicated than that, but like going into the backyard and just leaving corn in a bucket. I mean, for, people like, still do it. Yeah, you guess it's it's definitely a complicated process. But yeah. anyway, we'll we'll get to that. So in 1920, the prohibition passed and alcohol was no longer available anywhere. This became the best time for moonshiners as the market was wide open for them. Organized crime jumped into the mix and the quality in the moonshine dipped as they like water it down, obviously, to like make more money. Right. Prohibition and the increase in um, illegal liquor led to runners and bootleggers smuggling liquor across the country. These cars were outfitted for speed and load carrying with reinforced like suspension and stuff to carry like the heavier weight yeah prohibition was repealed in 1933 and moonshiner life kind of dwindled again though out of work bootleggers turned their skills and souped up cars to a different avenue the national association for stock car auto racing nascar formed for this need for speed a former runner named junior johnson became a nascar driver and won 50 races in his career so he's yeah. good at it. Yeah, yeah. That's Which this was crazy. This guy fact. I think that's was racing in like the sixties or something. Like he was pretty like recent. Yeah. Like he was like he was older, I guess. Um several states, including Alaska, Arizona, Maine, Massachusetts, and Missouri, allow for the production of moonshine in what for one's own consumption, but illegal moonshine may, remains a key part of Appalachian culture to this day. So in these states you can distill yourself. But I think a lot of them you need like permits and stuff because it is kind of dangerous. Like, is is that what makes it illegal? You need like a permit to like just like let stuff like spoil in your backyard. I think distilling is a lot different. I guess because you're producing ethanol chemically than. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's more like distillation, whereas whereas like wine and beer is pretty much like straight fermentation oh, okay. reactions. Right. But mm. so contamination is a common threat depending on the style of still that you're uh, that you're working with. Stills made from car radiators were very common, but often resulted in glycol from antifreeze or lead making it into the final product. Lead tainted moonshine could lead to saturnine gout, a par- painful but treatable condition. Mm. So I guess lead can give you gout. Mm. Moonshiners often wanted to increase the strength of their shine, so they added cheap methanol to boost the ABV. This is called the four shot. Sounds kind of dirty. Um, the so the four shot is the first fifty to one hundred fifty milliliters of alcohol that like drips from the condenser. This is usually discarded to get rid of the methanol, but if this is done improperly or not done at all, that can lead to methanol in the final product, which oh. is very bad. For you. I think that's like kind of the more the way people just start like going blind or like dying. There's right. like a lot of methanol poisoning. But yeah, moonshine is typically distilled around 40% alcohol, but sometimes it can close to like 66%. The column 
or a spiral still can achieve a vapor alcohol content of 98%. Wow. That's pretty great. That's my strong hooch. Because I think, I feel like I've heard of like, I don't know. I feel like I've heard of moonshine being stronger than like 60%. I feel like they got it pretty, like Ron Swanson's. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, I guess it just depends on how you make it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't go that deep into how to make moonshine, but. I think it's the coolest thing. It's the origins of NASCAR. I know. You know? I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway, it just makes sense that like, I don't know. They just were souping up cars. And then they're like, yeah, we keep going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the people who drove the souped up cars through these little back roads and all that got like really popular for like their driving. And then. People, I guess, just start thinking like, "Why don't we just kind of keep on <laughs> keep doing hanging out with the the whole?" When did it thing? just turn to like left turns though? We should have just like kept them out in the hills and like you have to drive like a, a uh, road you track. Think, you gotta think about this way. Like they wanted to kind of do it in sort of uh, kind of confined areas where people could watch. Yeah, it's more and, marketable. And when they first started, they were using smaller cars that went slower. So it wasn't this, it wasn't as like the consistent just left turn. These cars were probably going all over the place back in the day, you know. Well, and I mean, I, I mean, I imagine, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if the, the whole like, you know, uh, ovular sort of track was always what they did. But I mean, you know, nowadays where these NASCARs are like so souped up and so precise that, you know, you kind of, for, for, first of all, just back up, back up, back up, back up. It's an incredibly exciting sport, even today. Okay. I why have we been having this NASCAR argument like every week? Because NASCAR is fucking sick. Yeah. I mean, okay, you, you have to go and watch because I know if you actually like, focus and like watch the cars, you can actually like, see like their like strategy, and you can kind of like see them like baiting and like making moves. And I mean, I think it's like it's pretty cool stuff, you know. Um, It'd be cooler if there were more obstacles, like Mad Max style. Obstacle. I mean, there are obstacles. It's the other cars, you know. Yeah. I guess so. I don't know. I think. I, I think Speaking of obstacles, <sighs> here's a man who faced some obstacles in his life. Like Jeff transition. Gordon. Jeff Gordon. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Anyway, so Marvin Popcorn Sutton was born on October 5th of 1946 in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Both of Sutton's parents were mountain folk, and he grew up in a wood home on the banks of a stream. His mother played the fiddle, his father played the spoons, and Marvin and his sister danced. What spoons? Spoons? Oh, I mean, How I do you can... play the spoons? Well, here, you'll have to edit it out, but I can show you how to play spoons. Playing spoons is easy. It goes pretty well with, like, if you kind of have a... <clears throat> Playing spoons goes pretty well if you have one of those bands where someone's kind of got, like, a jug... And so once you kind of, you know, work it on a washboard, like that's kind of like a... Uh, yeah, know, like a, a, kind of a metallic... Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's, it's, it's a band of the people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, spoons are like a percussion instrument where, um, you know, and obviously different spoons and, you know, certain sort of techniques. I think our are, target spoons are... You kind of hold them kind of like this, and then you kind of just slap them against your knees, and it kind of makes this rattling sound. See if I can kind of get it going. That's about it. What a horrible sound. Well, you know, you get good at it, and you can actually probably no. make a bit of a percussion instrument. Yeah. You know, but you literally just take these two spoons yeah, and you, you kind of and you kind of slap again. Well, first of all, these are Target brand spoons, not not, not some good old Appalachian tin spoons. You're you right. Know? You're right. Um, but yeah, you just slap them against uh, slap them against slap your, knees. your knee. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You play play the spoons. You know. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you for that demo. So. Well, you know. 
when times are tough, I'll just and when we got no money, I'll just bring the spoons back yeah, out. Bring the spoons you know? out. We'll put you on put you on Church Street. Yeah. See how you go. So Marvin became popcorn after he became frustrated with a bar's faulty popcorn vending machine and proceeded to attack it with a pool cue. And ever since, he was known as Popcorn. Uh, Popcorn considered moonshine making and bootlegging a legitimate part of his heritage as a Scots-Irish-American in the Appalachian area. He came from a long line of moonshiners, learning the craft from his father and his grandfather before him. Popcorn began making moonshine in a dense area of brush called the Bend of the River, which is where he was later buried. It's all a very artful way of saying this guy was part of a long family of drunks. Yeah, yeah. So Popcorn knew what he was doing looked pretty bad under the eye of the law, but so his stills were patched together and could be quickly disassembled. Popcorn took pride in the quality of his white lightning. He used the freshest white corn for his mash and claimed to use the coldest, cleanest stream water. He also only used new copper tubing instead of radiator pipes like the other people. Very considerate. Mm-hmm. Popcorn's standard shine tasted like buttery sweet corn, but he often added pears, peaches, figs, and black cherries to his infusion. It sounds pretty good. I know. It does sound good. I like the idea. And the, so I read this one. One of the articles I used was this, like, Maxim article, and this guy, like, went out and actually, um, like, met up with people in the area. Mm-hmm. And some of these people, like... Years later, we're like pulling out mason jars and like, this is some of Popcorn's moonshine. Do you want some? And he like got to try it and he said like, yeah, it tastes like sweet corn. It's crazy. Wow. I'm like, that sounds so good. I mean, does it still like burn, I imagine? I'm assuming if you keep it all sealed up. No, no, no. I mean, like, does it like... like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I would imagine it would have to, but I think that's what they pride themselves. It's like smooth. But it's not smooth. It's fucking uh, strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't yeah. tasted it. We'll have to go find somebody that has a jar in their back of their cupboard. Yeah. Um. He spent his days operating a small roadside junk shop outside of Cherokee, North Carolina. He sold things like license plates, painted gourds, used appliances, and secretly moonshine. Popcorn met most of his new customers from this stand. Some out of towners. They spelled, there's an apostrophe in there somewhere. Mm. Or even lucky enough to be offered a bit of mo- their Mountain Dew. So people would like come to the stand and he's like, on the low, you want some moonshine? Mm. People are like, yes, please. Mm. Shoppers could purchase some of Popcorn's famous hooch for about $40 per gallon at its peak. Which sounds like a great deal. For yeah. a gallon? For a gallon of moonshine is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. They would often have to search the woods for one of his secret dot boxes, which were often a baby casket or an old toilet. So mm. you give him money, he makes for you, puts it in the toilet. Mm. Moonshining was hard business from the start. Marvin crashed his car and crushed his face running from the law once. He said it took him a while to pass all of his front teeth. Which sounds horrible. Yeah. He frequently changed cars to keep the cops from him. And Marvin did not come to fame, really, until he was around 60 years old. He had a long history of... Long criminal history before this, though. He was convicted in 1974 for selling untaxed liquor. He was convicted in 1981 and 1985 on charges of possessing controlled substances and assault with a deadly weapon. I didn't really find what these controlled substances are. It but sounds like he... I mean, was, was that when he destroyed the popcorn machine with the pool cue? I think that was pretty early on deadly in his weapon? life. I think the... Right well, right. maybe. Pool cues are pretty scary. He famously avoided serious jail time and only ever received probation sentences until ni- the 1985 arrest when he served time at the Craggy Correctional Center in Asheville. 
He was placed that on probation. It does sound fun. And he was placed on probation in 1998 when state agents raided his roadside store in Maggie, North Carolina, and seized a moonshine still in 60 gallons of moonshine. That's a ton. It's a lot of moonshine. Uh, Popcorn was known to cozy up with local authorities, which may have led to his mild punishments from the law. He was particularly good pals with the local county sheriff named Tooney Moore, which sounds like a like cartoon name for yeah, a sheriff. Yeah, I would say that, yeah, Who's like sounds, chasing some yeah. like... Appalachian what's man that, around. What's that old comic strip about, like, the, the hillbillies? Um, oh, I don't know. Oh. Let's see. What? It's this one, yeah, right? Yeah, it's that one. Snuffy, Snuffy Smith. Smith. Yeah, yes. It's not, it's not, it sounds like Snuffy Smith names, you know. So, Tooney Moore shared his popcorn's ideal that moonshine was an important part of local heritage, so he didn't, he kind of turned a blind eye to the moonshining thing. Popcorn was also known to gift every officer on the force a silver dollar around Christmas as an annual gift. Popcorn's antics in the Appalachian area often went unpunished, but people knew him knew him as a man that should not be messed with. Popcorn's oldest daughter told of a time in her youth when she witnessed a man stumble out of their cabin with a butcher knife sticking out of his neck. Popcorn was also suspected to have ta- attacked a local musician named Willie Ferguson for some unknown reason. He was found, Willie was found, on the side of the road, dead with his throat slit and missing his fiddle. Whoa. So, Popcorn might have might have did some shady things. Popcorn then turned to the arts in 1999. He wrote a self-published autobiography called Me and My Liquor, liquor spelled L-I-K-K-E-R, that was a guide to moonshining um, in like kind of a story of his life with the help of a local author named Ernestine Upchurch. He sold copies of his autobiography out of the roadside stand and online the new york times called the book a rambling obscene and often hilarious account of his life in the trade i bet that's pretty interesting to read i heard that like he made like he literally just um he did i think he did part of it like new girl style where he just like sat there with pages and like glued them together yeah yeah well i think yeah i think they're all like all like handmade like Mm -hmm. i think some of them were even like just like written like by hand, right, or something like I that? Think, I think, I don't think, they I, definitely I, I just, were, like, in publication, kind of Yeah, I, I just know, like, Maybe I, they are I, I just now, know copies of these books are, like, extremely valuable, The actually. original ones, I yeah. think, yeah. yeah. He would just, yeah, I don't know. They're probably all different, too. If he's just writing them by hand. I can't remember if they'd write them by hand, or if they just, like, self-binding them, or, like, self-publishing yeah. them, but, like, I just know, for whatever, for God knows what reason, that, like, a copy of, like, the Popcorn Sutton autobiography, like, an unoriginal one, is, like, ex- like extremely valuable. Yeah. You know? Well, because at this point, he wasn't really that, like, well-known. He didn't really get, like, super popular until later. But this is why. Because he appeared in various documentaries. So he first appeared in Neil Hutchinson's 2002 documentary, Mountain Talk, which focused on, like, the Appalachian mountain dialect mm-hmm. thing. Hutchinson, realizing he stumbled upon a gold mine with popcorn, created... This is the last damn run of liquor I'll ever make, which damn is spelled D-A-M, and liquor is obviously spelled mm. L-I-K-K-E-R. His 2002 film became a cult classic, and this like was supposed to be like a real look into Popcorn's life. With the fame and notoriety came the law for Popcorn. You would think someone running an illegal underground moonshine business would like not want to be well-known, but Popcorn loved his fame. Reporters and movie makers came to interview Popcorn and were drawn to his crass sense of humor, bushy beard, and permanent overalls. Billy Ray Cyrus interviewed Popcorn once, and Johnny Knoxville stopped to check out Popcorn's coffin he kept in his living room, which he was later buried in. 
A fire in 2007 led firefighters to discover 650 gallons of untaxed liquor on Popcorn's property. He was convicted and placed on probation, though. He did not get jail time for this one. In 2008... 650 gallons like a swimming pool. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) If you'd, like, lit it on fire, it'd probably just, like, blow up half of, like, North Carolina or whatever. Also in 2008... Oh, wait. Okay. So in 2008, Hutchinson, the filmmaker... Remade his 2002 documentary into The Last One, which was released in 2009 and won a Southeast Emmy Award. I didn't know Emmys got divided up by regions. I did not know. Also in 2008, Pop- Popcorn bragged to an undercover federal officer that he had 500 gallons of moonshine in Tennessee and 400 gallons in Maggie Valley ready for sale. This led to Jim Cavanaugh of Waco and Unabomber raid fame, leading a raid on Popcorn's property a few days later. Using a public defender and pleading guilty, Popcorn was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison in January of 2009. He was sentenced for illegally distilling spirits and possession of a firearm as a felon, which I think that's probably what, you know, really got him. Right. <laughs> At 62, Popcorn was suffering from a long-term undiagnosable illness and requested that the district judge allow him to serve his sentence under house arrest, which I feel like this undiagnosable illness could just be like drinking moonshine for your whole life. Yeah. Probably does some damage on the body. (laughs) The judge denied this request and the following petition citing how Sutton was under probation at the time of the raid and had five convictions that were basically only ever served under probation. So he's like, you you have to do this. You have not like been in jail barely at all this whole time. Popcorn died by suicide on March 16th of 2009 from carbon monoxide poisoning to avoid federal prison. So his wife, Pam found him in his three-jar car a few days before his sentence was due to start after his, like, uh, 2009 conviction. Um, Pam Sutton said that he called it his three-jar car because he gave three jugs of liquor in it. Huh. But Popcorn was originally buried in his family graveyard in Mount Sterling, North Carolina, but was then moved to Parrotsville, which sounds fun. Yeah. (laughs) Hank Williams Jr. attended the service to pay his respects and his footstone that Popcorn had prepared years before his death, which was kept on his front porch until he inevitably died, read, Popcorn said, fuck you. (laughs) And in 2010, Hank Williams Jr. announced that a new brand of whiskey named after Popcorn was going to be released in partnership with Pam Sutton, his like wife at the time of his death. Popcorn Sutton's Tennessee White Whiskey was released, but quickly experienced turbulence when Jack Daniels filed a suit against the distiller, claiming their bottles, which were square and shaped, beveled on the corners and white on a black label, closely resembled their own and did not want consumers to think Popcorn's Whiskey was affiliated with Jack Daniels. But you can find Popcorn's Whiskey on the shelf today, but just under a different bottle. Oh, well, but that's fun. the story of Popcorn Sutton. Ah, true American hero. Exactly. I feel like it's like, if, you know, if he wasn't doing all these, you know, stabbing people in the neck, it's hard to hate the guy, you know? Yeah, who knows? Who knows the true facts there? Exactly. Yeah. Who know? knows? Yeah. There was um, his, like, daughter, the one that, like, cited that story. She kind of has, like, a whole, I don't know if it's, like, a full book, but a pretty, like, big account of... She, like, tried to kind of reach out to Popcorn and, like, reconnect with him a bit before he inevitably died. But, like, they never really, like, reconnected before he died. Yeah. It was pretty sad. And then she wrote a, a book about him? Yeah. Was like, it her com- life. Oh, really? Because I think, obviously, he she wasn't, like, her his daughter with this Pam lady. I guess he was only with this Pam Sutton, like, a couple years before he died. Mm-hmm. But I guess her mother, like, moved out of the Appalachian area and moved to the Northeast. And mm-hmm. 
she was like, my roots are a moonshiner. But pretty mm. interesting stuff. Interesting. Interesting. interesting well, stuff. So what does her, her book say about him? This is kind of like, he was an absent father. But Sounds like someone tried to make their way back into the will and it didn't work out, so they wrote it in the book. Well, I don't know if Popcorn <laughs> had a huge will. He had 650 gallons of uh, moonshine. But then the feds took it. Man, I'll give it back in time. Yeah. <laughs> It'll come around. It's on way. Yeah. They, yeah, I wonder, can you imagine how sad that would be if they were just dumping this, like, beautiful moonshine out? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they just impound it, you know? Yeah. The other thing, too, was this, what was the, I'm trying to find the guy's name. Oh, so the, it's a David Kushner article called The Last Hillbilly Hero, but he's the one that went and, like, actually interviewed all these people and got to, like, try Popcorn's moonshine. Yeah. He also said that Popcorn, like, was kind of in some weird sexy stuff. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Read his article and come back to what you want to think about it, but there's some very strange things about Popcorn's sexual habits in there that I didn't really want to talk about. Okay. But now I ended up talking about all it anyway. Right. Seems corn, just like an interesting corn, guy all around. Corn everywhere. Corn all over. Corn but, on the cob. Corn right. on my cob, corn on your cob. All right, that's... Corn, corn, corn. Well, we'll leave it. There. I don't we should get some sweet corn. Put it on the grill. All right. Toss it around. Corn the cup. Yeah. Corn the cup. Alright. Alright, well, that was all I had. Alright. Cool. Okay. Bye bye!